Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And and this week is a very again another another breakthrough week on the podcast <laughs> because we jo- joined by the the outstanding television critic, uh, author of the new book Breaking Bad One Hundred and One: The Complete Critical Companion. Alan Sepinwall. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. This is such a, a happy and friendly place to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I want to. I just want to say this up front. Have you ever? You guys have seen like those? They they've done them in shows, and they've also done them on commercials, uh, where they'll show something, they'll show somebody, and then that little whisper announcer voice will come on, and they'll be like, Mabel doesn't realize that her favorite product has been replaced by Downey, you know, or sure. something like that. Yeah. So this this week, it's basically, Alan came on the show thinking he was there to promote his book. He did not realize he would get yelled at the entire podcast. Wait, 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 right? what? Is- what? <laughs> I think, I actually think a better analogy would be if we could just run the Admiral Akbar. it's a trap, Jeff. <laughs> Over and over again, because Alan, we should explain in case people don't know, Alan is a Yankee fan. And now let me let me wait. Hold on a second before we go any further. We were very clear when we invited Alan to be our guest again on the podcast that the purpose of this uh, appearance was for us to yell at him about the Yankees. That we were very upfront about that. Whatever happens today, he cannot claim that he did not know what was about to happen. Well, right? Let's get that. Uh, Alan, tell everyone that that's that's the case. I went into this podcast with my eyes open. Yes. Okay. Good. Okay. And he's doing it. He's doing it for for you know out of out of deep friendship and also because he is he did he really did write this book. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> Written a book, you're willing to go through anything, <laughs> anything. Yep. So, so, uh, but before we before we get to Alan and the Yankees and 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 his his excellent uh, television work, um, we have another Tommy Fam update. It's the Tommy Fam update, and this is Michael's. This is all yours. Thank you. You so, have the Tom. You have the Tommy. Fam. So, um. You all uh, out there in podcast listening land probably thought we were done talking about Tommy Pham and his quest to be a 300, 400, 500 hitter, which he achieved, by the way. Um, but we're not. And the reason we're not is because uh, we got a tweet from a professor, uh, a man named Ed Felton. He is the Robert E. Kahn Professor of Computer Science and Public Affairs at Princeton <laughs> College, Princeton University. <laughs> The Princeton, the actual the Princeton. The actual Princeton. Uh, he also, according to his Twitter bio, uh, formerly a deputy U.S. CTO at the White House. So this is a man with impeccable credentials. This is an important human being who, for some reason, A, is listening to the podcast, uh, the podcast and B, weighed in uh, with a small suggestion, uh, basically. He didn't even phrase it as a suggestion, but it, we've taken it as a suggestion. What he wrote to us on October 13th was, Awaiting podcast coverage of this year's Hall of Fam induction ceremony. Now, okay, so when I read this, I had several emotions. Emotion number one was, I'm sad that this uh, smart person is wasting his time listening to the podcast. That was honestly the first thing I thought. Number one was no professor of computer science and public affairs at Princeton should be wasting. He has way more important things to do. He needs to be educating our nation's youth. Uh, instead of listening to this podcast. Uh, but the second thing was, I was I, I was ashamed 
I would say, and embarrassed <laughs> that in all of the dumb coverage that we gave to Tommy Pham and his quest to be a 300, 400, 500 hitter, and all of our, we decided to name it a Pham, uh, that achievement, right? We never, for some reason, we never had the thought that we should call the group of people who have achieved that the Hall of Fame. Joe, I ask, I, I put it to you straightforwardly and humbly. How did we miss this? I really don't know. I think there are two things. One, I think it's something that that you you really need to be a professor at Princeton <laughs> to, to, to get. I think. I think that's the key is and, and, and okay. a, an economics professor. But I think the second thing is, and I'm I'm not I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming you, but I am saying when you went and started calling us the fam news, sure. that's I think we started looking at the word in that way. I think we it it took us away from the 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 most obvious hall of fam. Concept. You're saying I distracted us by think, by coming up with the term "fam" and as uh, <laughs> for fans of Tommy Fam, and that kind of threw us off a more I obvious think it just and threw us off. okay. Exactly, I think I think it just kind of took us a different direction. Alan, are you a fam? Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that I often report on events of the podcast to my family at the breakfast table, and when I told them about fams. There were many groans, and my daughter, who <laughs> otherwise loves Mike's work and is watching Parks and Rec with me, said, quote, that's weird. <laughs> you know, she's not wrong. She's uh, not wrong. But I just, I just to, to end, this is probably, barring some kind of other miracle, going to be the final Tommy Fam update of, of 2017. And I just want to give a sincere and heartfelt thank you to Professor Ed Felton, the Robert yes. E. Kahn Professor of Computer Science and Public Affairs at Princeton, uh, for I, I believe going forward, this is now what it's called. The people who have a, who play a full season in the majors and and have a 300, 400, 500 season will be inducted at the end of said season into the Hall of Fame. Can we agree on that? Is that oh, absolutely okay? Great. They're, they're, all, they're Hall of Famers. Yeah. there's no question that they're Hall of Famers. Great. Uh, I would like to make one other point about uh, Tommy Fam since this are, will be our last upstate, despite the fantastic music. Um, Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and a fantastic writer and, and great guy and, and friend of, of the podcast, um, he wants credit for this. He, he, he tweeted something out the other day that he essentially was the one who explained to Tommy Pham the 345 concept of the 300, 400, 500, 300 batting average, 400 on base percentage, 500 slugging percentage that is at the core of the Pham. Sure. Uh, he says that he talked to him about it in double A, which 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 leads me to two things. And he literally was saying his tweet was, I told this guy about this in double play and now they're calling it a fam. Like that was his tweet, which which, first of all, no, only we're calling it a fam. That's right. Okay? They Let's they try. they is two idiots who have a podcast. <laughs> they is not the world. You can't right. say they are calling it a fam. Yeah. And, and two. Didn't that sound like he wanted credit? Like he really, truly, like, hey, I'm the real originator of the fam. I think it does. It does sound like that. And uh, I think that. Look, let's be generous and say that an idea as dumb as the fam, as coming, as calling this the fam, could have been thought of by more than one person. Oh, no question. Right. So no let's question. just let's just let's be inclusive here and say welcome in. Welcome anybody who wants to to, to take partial credit for something this uh, stupid. You're welcome to it. I'm not. I would never claim that no, that no one else that the, this idea is, is so amazing that no one else could have had it. Oh no! I think every bit of credit somebody else takes is just a little load off of us. 
So, 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 Derek, you're more than welcome to join in and, 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 and be the originator. He can be, when we have our Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, he can be a guy who gets into the Hall of Fame as a journalist, because they do that, right, for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so he'll be, he's a first ballot Hall of Fame journalist <laughs> inductee into the Hall of Fame, yeah. We, we, will, we will call the journalist award the Derek Gould Award. <laughs> All journalists who get into the Hall of Fame great. and win the Derek Gould. This is all great. And this is, every, every aspect of this is wonderful. <laughs> Where will the Hall of Fame be located? Ooh, great question. Good, good question. Um, On top of the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. We're going to build a second, another story onto the top of the Hall of Fame so that it's like more important. And here's the best part of all, separate admission. That's right. Like, you come in, oh, you want to go to the Hall of Fame also? Yeah, that's it. That is, whatever current admission to the Baseball Hall of Fame is, the Hall of Fame is $1 more. And that's, like, that's baked in. So anytime the admission price goes up for the Baseball Hall of Fame, our admission goes, goes up, up by the it's, by that plus $1. Yeah, it's like one of those contracts where I have to be one of the top 5% of my, that's yeah, right. it's $1 more <laughs> at all times. Alan, you have to appreciate that we're talking about Tommy Pham because these are minutes in this podcast we're not yelling at you. And uh, we're now going to start yelling at you. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know what? That's before, right. But before we do that, let, let, let's get a very, very quick uh, Browns update uh, out of the way. Let's check in on the Cleveland Browns. How are they doing? So the Browns uh, lost again. Michael, can I get you back on board? No, you cannot. I texted you. You texted me something like that. This Browns thing is ridiculous. I didn't know what you were talking about. But of course, I immediately also knew what you were talking about. And my response was to say, I have never been so happy to have bailed on something. Right. Isn't that what I said? Whatever was happening. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew from your text that it was bad. No. And I, my, my, I had a wave of relief come over me, which I think will happen every Sunday for the rest of my life. I was so happy that I didn't know what it was or care. No, you didn't care, and you were like, boy, that was close. I cannot believe I almost oh, burdened so myself with that. Alan, can I get you on board? Can I? Can we get you as a Browns fan? Uh, Joe, I already root for the Knicks. Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> you also root for the Giants, correct? The New York football Giants. Yes, who often bring heartbreak, but occasionally bring, you know, David Tyree catching a ball against his helmet. So, Oh, you're not helping yourself. I'll you're not you. helping yourself, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Look, bad I, start. I, Mike, I, Michael was already wound up. This is a bad start. I could come into this podcast being all falsely humble, but you That's true. you would see right through that, and you would hate me even more for it. So I just I, I got to lean into it. I got to play the heel. I respect that. I respect come in punching. I respect that. Um, the New York Yankees have uh, at the moment that we are speaking on Wednesday. Uh, the New York Yankees have tied the series with the Houston Astros at two two. Uh, they were down two not two uh, zero. At which point, Allen somewhat false humbly pointed out that they might be out of it by the time we did this podcast, which <laughs> Michael and I both just mocked hysterically. Uh, the Yankees then won easily game three, and then uh, in Yankee fashion, as they often do, they win one easily, and then the next day they completely steal a game they had no business winning uh, as the Astros bullpen blew up and they blew a four run lead. Um, Alan, why don't, why don't you tell us to get this thing started? How are you feeling these days as a Yankee fan? Feeling pretty good, I have to say. 
<laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, it's it's a best of three at this point. Anything could happen. Dallas Keuchel has owned the Yankees, and Justin Verlander, I hear he's good at pitching. So this is not me being falsely humble when I say I would not be shocked at all if the Astros still pull out this series. But thus far, the Yankees have seemed on the verge of death a whole bunch of times in this postseason, and things have kept working out, which is kind of nice to feel. I want to I want to lay this out for everyone, just so everyone is is very clear about what has gone on in the last like I don't know six months or so. And I'm going to do it in a way that Alan will appreciate, I think, and will and will fully understand because Alan is first and foremost a television critic. Uh, and uh, he thinks uh, and writes about television narratives. So I'm going to explain to Alan and to everyone out there what has happened over the last six months of this baseball season. Joe and I are Jon Snow from (laughs) Game of Thrones. We have been trying desperately, so hard, to force people to understand that there is a looming existential crisis on the uh, like on our borders uh, that could wipe out all life and all humanity as we know it which is the resurgent New York Yankees we have been screaming and yelling and trying to get people to understand that the Yankees are uh, are here and they're they're right in they're right on the other side of that wall and they are they have the ability to obliterate all happiness and joy from earth with their cold icy death grip like the White Walkers in Game of Thrones. And everyone else has been Cersei Lannister, and they've been the, 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 uh, the other kingdoms, every, every other, basically every kingdom except for the kingdoms in the north. They have been ignoring us, and they've been obsessed with their petty little uh, political disagreements and arguments. They've been squabbling over gold with the Iron Bank, and they've been trying to form these little alliances and playing their little uh, political games. And meanwhile, we have been the only people who have truly understood the threat, the looming threat. And now it's tied 2-2, and everyone is looking around going, oh my God, the Yankees could win the World Series. And Joe and I are saying, yes, you idiots. We've been trying to tell you this for so long. And only now are you beginning to... Re- only after, like, somehow sneaking... Well, defeating the Twins very easily, obviously, because the Twins, again, this is... It's one of the most amazing statistics in baseball. The Minnesota Twins have not defeated the New York Yankees in a baseball game since 1871. 1871. That was the last time the Twins organization right. beat the Yankees at, in any one game. They are 0 and 640 against the Yankees since 1871. Uh, but in 1871, it was, it was a nice day. It was a good... It was a, they play, played them tough that day, yeah. They, grew, they, they grinded out a 4-3 victory. Uh, <clears throat> but... Uh, they so they they got past the Twins as they always do, and then somehow defeated a far superior team in the Cleveland Indians. And now suddenly, and then you, they go down 0-2, and everyone goes like, "Oh, look, the White Walkers are no threat. Don't worry, they're, they're, we've got that under control. They can't get past the wall." And guess what? Now the Yankee Aaron Judge just knocked down the wall with some weird, scary, dra- undead dragon ice breath thing. And now it's two to two, and they're on the brink of defeating another 100-win superior team and get into the World Series, where, by the way, if they do, they will defeat the L.A. Dodgers and they will win the World Series. That is my monologue. That's pretty much all I have to say. I'll take your answer off the air, Alan. (laughs) All right, well, first of all, uh, about this whole, you know, far superior team nonsense, 
I would think that, you know, one of the co-founders of Fire Joe Morgan would be aware of, you know, Pythagorean win expectations. And I believe the Yankees' Pythag was around 99 wins. And it's just they had a really awful bullpen, and they kept running Tyler Clippard out there for the first half of the year, and so they blew a bunch of one-run games they shouldn't have. And if they'd had the same bullpen they've had for the second half the whole year, their record would have been better. They would have beaten out your beloved Red Sox for the division, and it wouldn't seem like quite this shocking upset that they beat the Indians and that they're maybe going to beat the Astros. Maybe not. But number two, number two, uh, how dare you <laughs> compare a team with Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Didi Gregorius, crafty lefty, CeCe Sabathia, oh, the, you oh. know, the most likable Yankee team of my lifetime to the White Walkers and their army of ice zombies. Okay, How dare okay. you? I, I'd, like to, I'd like to jump in here. I'd like to jump in here because uh, I actually watched last night's game with, with a friend of mine who is a huge uh, Mets fan. He grew up in, in New Jersey. Uh, he's lived in New York pretty much his whole life since. Uh, huge, huge Mets fan. And he, he started uh, saying more or less what you're saying here, Alan. He was saying, you know, I've hated the Yankees all my life. But this Yankees team is so likable because of Aaron Judge and, and Gary Sanchez and, and these guys. This is the most likable Yankees team. And I find myself at a crossroads. I, I like the Astros, but, but I like this Yankees team. This is part of the trap. You realize that, right? I mean, this is part of the Yankees d- destroying all that is good in the world is they don't come as the angry, vicious Yankees anymore. They come as this lovable bunch. They're just a lovable bunch of young kids out there, just dead gummit, just giving the best they got. And, and, and no, no, they're the, they're, they're, they're evil. They're evil and they've come to destroy the world and, and they're going to do it. They're, they just are. They're going to do it. I am now convinced they're okay. going to do it. Okay. <clears throat> now I would like to add a couple things to that in response to what Alan said. <laughs> First of all, Alan, how dare you use logic, science, and math uh, to make your point against me? That is not that fair. Horrible. That is that is absolutely not fair to use science, reason, logic, and math against me. That was uncalled for, and I don't appreciate it. The second thing is, they are the White Walkers. You know they're the White Walkers. They're the White Walkers in baseball in the exact in the exact same way that the New England Patriots are the White Walkers in football, which is to say, yep. everybody hates them and you can't defeat them. And they, you can say they're likable. You can say Aaron. How can you hate Aaron Judge? To that, I would say, well, look, if you got to know all of the White Walkers, one you'd find one of them would be like a charming. You'd be like, oh, that, you know what? Compared to the other White Walkers, this particular White Walker, not so bad. Like he's got a better sense of humor. He has a little bit of self-awareness or irony uh, about about the about the situation that they're in, about the battles they're fighting. He's a fun. He's fun to have a beer with. Whatever. One of them, by definition, one of those White Walkers has to be more charming and friendly than the other White Walkers. But the fact remains, he is not like you can you can claim he's a likable guy. That's fine. He's seven feet tall and weighs 400 pounds. It's not like he's a, he's not Jose Altuve. He's not a scrappy underdog. He's a gigantic, unnatural monster. And I find it hard to find him, quote, likable, end quote, when he's just like a, he's Paul Bunyan. It's like, you, you know, Paul Bunyan, you shouldn't give Paul Bunyan a lot of, like, credit when he chops down a tree. He's Paul Bunyan. He's a giant man with a giant axe. That's not fair to the trees. Like, if Jose Altuve chops down a tree, you're like, wow. 
that's a likable thing that that guy just did because <laughs> you wouldn't expect Jose Altuve to be able to chop down a tree. But Aaron Judge is, a, is RoboCop. Like, I don't, when I watch RoboCop, my feeling isn't like, wow, I find RoboCop really likable because it's, it's cool the way he's, he's a massive robot that fires like missiles and stuff. And that's what Aaron judges. I, I find him the opposite of likable. I don't care that he's like has a nice smile. He's a gigantic, like genetically engineered mutant who is designed to be like a super athlete. So I don't. I find him the opposite of likable. I there are people on that team that I if I uh, were brainwashed and I if I had got amnesia and I woke up and I looked at that team I, and I didn't know that they were evil. I might find some of them likable, but he is not one of the people I would find. I would find him impressive, sure. But I would not find him likable. Likable, to me, suggests vulnerability. And in the exact same way that RoboCop is not, quote, likable, end quote, I would say Aaron Judge is not likable. How do you respond? I'll take, I'll take my answer off the air. I, I got I to gotta disagree with your police. I got to <laughs> disagree with your police work here, Mike, uh, for a number of reasons. Just... He does have vulnerabilities. We've seen it. He slumped enormously after the All-Star break. He hit terribly last year when he came up. He has these periods where pitchers figure him out, and because he is you know, six foot seven inches tall, his strike zone is ridiculous, and the umpires don't know how to call it. So pitches that against any other batter would obviously be balls are called strikes against him. Uh, I find that very vulnerable, uh, very appealing. It's an underdog story. People kept saying over and over that a guy this size cannot possibly play baseball well. They're like, oh, he's, you know, at best he's going to be, you know, Adam Dunn or Dave Kingman. He's going to hit a lot of home runs and strike out, and that's all he's going to do. And he's proved himself to be a much more complete ball player than that. And I, frankly, I think your whole argument is just being very heightist. <laughs> you are against tall people, which, given though that you're not as tall as I am, but are tall yourself, I don't. I find that very self-hating, and I, frankly, I take pity on you for so this argument. J- just to be clear, you're saying that wow. his vulnerability is his superhuman size and strength? That's his vulnerability? <laughs> fairly compared to every other player in the game. Oh, man. I don't know. That seems a like a specious argument to me. Is a strike. That's like... Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, and, and I... I'm going to add to that. Yeah, I'm no. I'm going to add to the speciousness of that argument as you saying, well, you know that he he. A lot of people thought he was going to hit a lot of home runs and strike out a lot, and he does a lot more than that. He really hits a lot of <laughs> yeah. home runs and strikes out a lot. That's really what he does. I, I mean, I mean, he's a good outfielder. I mean, that's been nice, but I mean, he that's what he does. He hits a lot of home runs and he strikes out a lot. His OPS overall. I mean, his numbers are go well beyond the three true outcomes. You know, he he does a lot. He's a good no, fan. they're not. He they almost beat out second. that throw last night. Now, now you're. He almost <laughs> beat out that throw last night. Hang on. And it was thrown <laughs> from the wait, pitcher's mound. Hold on a second. Hold on. Wait a second. Hang on. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just call up his stats right now. In 542 at bats, he had 52 home runs yes. and 208 strikeouts. He had. Do you know how many yeah. how many doubles do you think he had? Uh, I don't know. He had twenty four doubles. I think I had like twenty six doubles last year. That's nothing. That's so. That is. That's like. For, that is absurdly low number of doubles. He hit. He hit. He his his three true outcomes. If your three true outcomes, uh, and you're claiming he's more than a three true outcome hitter, he had fifty two homers, hundred and twenty seven walks. And 208 strikeouts. That's 335, 387 of his 542 at-bats. 
That's the definition of a three to I mean, that's such a high percentage of his at bats and plate appearances ended in home runs, walks, or strikeouts. That's exactly what he is. Your only argument here, besides that he uh, he's so likable because it's so cute the way that he has superhuman size and strength, like a combination of Wolverine and the thing. Your only argument here is that he seems to be better defensively than you might guess that he would be. He made, he made a very good catch in the game the other night. He's made some really good uh, catches coming in on balls that guys who are uh, blessed with superhuman size and strength, like a combination of RoboCop and the Incredible Hulk, don't you wouldn't expect them to be that nimble or agile. I would give you that argument. I will not give you the argument that he is more at the plate than a 3 true outcome hitter. To me, he's probably the single greatest example of a 3 true outcome hitter that exists anywhere in the major leagues. Fair. Fair, but if you, I'm, I, I, you, you pull out the stats, I looked up, uh, you know, I believe he led your beloved Jose Altuve in Fangraph's war. He is just a little bit behind him in baseball reference war. So even if he's striking out a ton, man, he brings quite a bit of value, I think. Oh, no. Yes, he does. He, he does, but by, by walking and hitting homers. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the point. Fair. He has a, he, the, the, his value is he hit the most home runs, walked the most and uh, and then also struck out the most, and so that like that his his value as a hitter is not under uh, scrutiny here. Uh, and I again I would say if you gave RoboCop a bat and and said like hey go play right field for the Yankees, RoboCop would probably have roughly the same number of home runs, walks, and strikeouts that Aaron Judge had. Also, by the way, RoboCop because I'm going to be a nerd here, cyborg, not a robot, and he does not shoot. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. I, I, caught, I missed the second part. Cyborg, and what was the other part? He's not he a robot. Cyborg, and he doesn't shoot missiles. You're thinking of Ed 209. <laughs> this is exactly why you have Alan Seppenwall on your, <laughs> in your podcast to real time fact check the absurdness of calling Aaron Judge Robocop. Look, look we live in a post fact world. I'm doing the best that I can to yes, correct that. But to get back to my original point, I read so many times. Last August and September, through the offseason, and especially over the first few months of the season, like, Aaron Judge can't possibly succeed in Major League Baseball. Even when he was, like, the runaway MVP candidate, people kept saying, you know, this is a fluke, his BABIP is unsustainable, and yes, it did come down. Like, he is not going to be this, he can't possibly be this. And then when he went into the post-All-Star Game slump, people were like, aha-ha, I told you, he's no good. And then, you know, late August and September came around. I just like he's been underestimated so much. I, I hate to break it to you, the six foot seven, three hundred pound guy is an underdog. Yeah, that that feels very, very, very selective in your memory of Aaron Judge. Uh, the way he w- would you covered. like me to call up the prospect rankings going into the season? I think he was like you know eighty seventh. I want you to go to our original podcast from the uh, from the preseason because that's the only. The only thing that really matters. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and we talked about how Aaron Judge was going to haunt our dreams for the rest of our lives. So we knew it. If nobody else knew it. Yes, uh, we are Jon Snow. That is, this is exactly my point. We have been Jon Snow all along, and no one has listened to us. We All we've been saying is that we were we uh, uh, that this guy was going to be a monster and that he was going to haunt our dreams. Joe called him the BFG for a while. Uh, and I just wish people had. You know what stinks? We're gonna do this again. This is this is now. I'm gonna shift into Battlestar Galactica. All of this has happened before. 
and will happen again. There's, there's going to be so many times in our lives where we're going to be trying to desperately sound the alarm that the White Walkers are marshalling their forces uh, and uh, on the other side of the wall, and no one's ever going to listen to us because the truth is the Yankees just do this all the time. They, they haven't had a losing season in, what is it, like 25 years or something like that? Even last year when they were they sold, they traded like six mediocre players and a couple of good players for 500 prospects at the end of the year and still almost made the playoffs. They were tanking. They were deliberately tanking the season. And they, they traded Chapman and they traded Andrew Miller and they traded all these guys. And they and they got a massive haul of prospects. They have they have pro, they have too many prospects to play. They they lost Clint Frazier to a broken knee or whatever it was in, the, in his first game after he had to like hit a home run in his first at bat. It didn't. Who cares? They're utterly. They're they're like top twenty prospects are so disposable at this point. They just chuck them onto a big funeral pyre somewhere and just bring up the next one. And this and they also, by the way, then just went out and signed Chapman again. They could have probably signed Miller if they wanted to. They just signed all the people they wanted to sign, and they got all the prospects. There's they they have Carpenter's and the Myers. They have so many prospects. They don't know where to play them, and so now we can't even enjoy like we thought we were going to be able to. We can't even enjoy the team aging and being bad. We can't even enjoy, like CC Sabathia is 37 and he hasn't thrown a pitch faster than 91 in the last three years. And somehow he's shutting down the best offense in baseball in the postseason. We can't even enjoy them in their old sad years because they've, they've already, they restocked the entire team in one season. Yeah. Now that's pretty much, pretty much it. Pretty much it. And, and, you know, look, I, the, the, the other part of this thing is we thought, I mean, not we, but but many people in the game thought, you know, in a year they're they're going to get Bryce Harper. You know, there's like one or Machado or both. I mean, if they want both, they'll get both. But I mean, uh, Bryce Harper is all his life. He's wanted to be a Yankee. Uh, and and uh, and he's going to go for the biggest prize, and the, the Yankees are going to have the biggest prize. Um, so they could easily get Bryce Harper or Machado or both or whoever else they want. And it was like, you know, we know they're going to be really, really good. And can they just wait till then before just winning the World Series? Really, that's all. That's really. The, and the answer is no, no. I don't think they're they're going to wait at all. <laughs> can I, I want to, Alan. Listen, uh, we're not nearly done yelling at you. First of all, Christina, but I I want to read to you the 2016 New York Yankees lineup. Okay. Sure. Here it was. Brian McCann was their catcher. Teixeira was at first. Castro was at second. Didi was at short. Chase Headley was at third. The outfield was Gardner, Ellsbury, and Hicks for a while. Uh, and Alex Rodriguez, you might remember him, was their uh, DH, right? That yes. was that's their that's what Baseball Reference lists as their their basic starting nine. They also had Beltran in his age thirty nine season. Uh, and then later in the year, obviously Sanchez came up, and some, and, and Judge actually came up and was terrible. Uh, but that that's the main lineup. Not a single one of those players, not a single one of that starting nine, had an OPS above 750. <laughs> those players stunk. Not a single one of them has a league average OPS plus. Not one of them. Okay, their pitchers, Nathan Yavaldi. Ivan Nova, Chad Green was a starter and he was terrible. Tanaka was pretty bad. Sabathi was pretty bad. Pineda was pretty bad. All of these guys had problems. They got hurt. They, whatever, they, they stunk. That team should have gone, what, Joe? 
Well, to give me a record that you think that team should have had at the end of the year. They should have 20 games under 500, they something like that? Been, yeah, they should have won 60 games. 60 yeah, so I would say 70, a top 70. 70 and 92, something like that, right? That team was 84 and 78. Yeah. <laughs> we did not even get the satisfaction of that team having a losing record. Before, and by the way, you do you want to bring logic and reason into this and science and math? Fine. Their Pythagorean was 79 and 83. <laughs> They scored 680 runs and, and allowed 702. So uh, so that team, we, we were denied that. We were denied a, a collapse season with in, in, with a team with 40-year-old A-Rod and, and 36-year-old Teixeira and 39-year-old Beltran and all those guys. We were denied that. And, by the way, on the, in the last, the day that the Red Sox clinched the AL East, they were playing in New York, and somehow they scored five runs in the ninth inning off of Craig Kimbrell, and they denied the Red Sox the chance to jump up and down on the mound at Yankee Stadium. They, all they do, even when they stink, they still deny us the ability to revel in how they much wreck, they stink. They wreck dreams. They just wreck dreams. Yes, they are dream wreckers. They are icy, death grip, white walking dream wreckers. <laughs> Alan, your thoughts? I mean- Mike, your team has won several more World Series than my team has over the last decade. Why should this still vex you so? Again, do not bring logic into this. I beg you. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, no. know, the, you know, I have felt more haunted by the Red Sox since 2004 than you should feel by the Yankees. I think so. Okay, now you bring this up. This question was posed to me by someone on Twitter the other day, which is basically how, how do you still care this much, right? Uh, the question was posed to me by a Yankee fan saying, like, when the Yankees are out of it, I just tune out. I don't care, right? I don't actively get nervous. I don't post uh, screenshots of bad calls from the MLB at bat app uh, against <laughs> against that the Red Sox are benefiting from in the way that I, Mike, do with the Yankees. I do do that constantly. I'm constantly taking screenshots of bad calls yeah. that go that go in the Yankees' favor, and I send them to my friend Joe, and I yell about them. I believe, and and it's a, it's a very valid question. Obviously, it's the result of years, of decades, of psychological damage. Yes. I really feel like what is happening is I was so beaten up and bullied by this franchise, by this awful that symbol on their stupid hats and their stupid pinstripes and their stupid pixie dust uh luck i have been so beaten down by it i can still see the snapshot of chuck knoblock uh, phantom tagging jose offerman running between first and second in the 99 uh playoffs i i still all of those moments are so real to me that even when the red sox have won three world series it doesn't matter i still cannot relax until the yankees are out of the playoffs and now we're in a situation where the Yankees are going to absolutely defeat the Astros, and they are going to absolutely defeat the Dodgers. And the only good thing about this, the only good thing, and, and it's a stretch to call it a good thing, is that, as you might know, my jerk son betrayed me and became a Dodger fan. <laughs> yes. And he is going to watch the Yankees defeat the Dodgers in the World Series this year, and he, I will finally, he will finally be brought truly next to me in our baseball fandom because he will hate the Yankees as much as I do. That's the only thing I can take as a positive from what is from the from the fact that the White Walker army is marching inexorably towards Westeros and we are all doomed. Well, I have a personal question for you then, Mike. Hypothetically, just imagine the Yankees and the Dodgers wind up in the World Series, but the Dodgers win. 
Like, does your son still live at home after that? <laughs> oh, my God. No, again, even that scenario, which, by the way, will never happen. That will never happen. Uh, that scenario would also be good because my son and I could bond over how happy we are that the Yankees lost, right? He will, he will be... He already doesn't like the Yankees because he is a he's a good boy, and he has uh, he is he understands he's uh, that the that the Yankees are are inherently evil and and sure. shouldn't be trusted, and so he but but I think the Dodgers defeating them the the joy that he feels from watching um, a sad Yankees would be would would bond him to me in a in a new way. I don't think it, we're not you know we're. Bonded over baseball in many ways, but the one way we are not quite fully bonded is in taking joy from sad Yankees, which I think that so that would be good. Now that it wouldn't be as in some weird way, it wouldn't be as good as the Yankees winning, which again they will do, because if the because the, a Yankee victory would cause him to feel such burning hatred in his heart for them that he he would that he would it would never go away he at age 40 uh, almost 42 which is what i am would still feel the same visceral hatred for the yankees that i feel and that is something that i need him to feel that's good parenting <laughs> <laughs> i can respect that. i think that's right <laughs> That's all that is. That's what the show is about, is good parenting. In many ways, it's sort of a parenting guide. You can think of this as a parenting guide. You know, <laughs> yes, like a, it really is a parenting we should, guide. We should put this on iTunes under the, in the category of, like, parenting advice. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Parenting. Just put it right down there, you know. Things like, you know, how to, how to help your child through uh, anything. Now, I've, um, I've, I've talked a lot. Uh, I've ranted a lot about the Yankees. I would like to hear, in the interest of equal time, when it when a a, a, a person is be is up for sainthood in the Catholic Church, there is a real thing called the devil's advocate. Uh, I learned this fairly recently. The the, de- the term devil's advocate is real, and when a person is up for sainthood in, in the Catholic Church, a an actual devil's advocate comes to the Vatican and argues against that person being canonized, being a uh, given sainthood, uh, which I think is kind of a cool thing. So I, in the interests of uh, uh, devil's advocateness. I would love to hear Alan just for a while just talk about his journey with this team from the beginning of the season until now, and who are the people who have uh, who love that he loves the most. What are the top moments? I would love to just get uh, a, a, a actual Yankee fans' impressions of the season from beginning to end. Yeah, no question. Although in this scenario, are you up for sainthood? Is that is that the is that the, that the scenario? I don't know that it's smart to extend that metaphor too far into, <laughs> into what we're doing. Uh, I guess yeah, I, technically that would be the case. Well, yeah, technically like the concept of hating the Yankees is right, up for sainthood, right. right? Which should be. All right, right Alan. Let's so let's what, what you're your saying journey. is you're inviting me to talk at length about my love of this Yankee team and. This is not a trap. No, I, I am no, not. I'm you, the next. The, uh, take as long as you want. I will not. I'm going to mute myself because uh, I will be yelling at you, but I just don't want anyone to hear it. So I'm going to mute myself, and you just. I would just love to hear like the 2017 New York Yankees and Apologia by Alan Sappenwall. Uh, I love this team. This is the most. I said it before. This is the most likable Yankee team I've ever rooted for. Even the the Joe Torre teams, there was still something of like that corporate stayed. You know. You know, Derek Jeter, great player, but kind of boring and deliberately so, and that sort of elitist attitude that the team had. These guys, they're mostly young. 
They're coming aboard ahead of schedule, as you guys have talked about. Nobody was expecting the team to be this good this early. Judge is fun to watch. Gary Sanchez is fun to watch. Dita Gregorius, you know, is having a ball out there and is also awesome to follow on Twitter. You know, Twitter is a garbage fire now, but every now and then I get some joy when Didi tweets something. Uh, and it's just, it, the, the team has come together in a really wonderful way that I just didn't expect. They've had a lot of big wins, a lot of big hits. Obviously, just seeing the ball fly off of Judge's bat, like in Pittsburgh, is an amazing thing. But then seeing, like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking here. Frazier, we have two Frasers on the team, and it's confusing. Seeing Todd Frazier come, and yes, they have to talk all the time about he, how he's from New Jersey, like me. But, you know, he's he's having a lot of big hits, and it's exciting. And we've been down, we were down 3 nothing in the first inning of the wild card game, and we won the wild card game. We were down against the Indians, 2 nothing. We beat them. We're down here, 2 nothing. It's tied. It's just, I'm, I'm going to take as much as I get from this team. It's made me very, very happy in a way a Yankee team has not, since maybe that 96 team, which was coming after, you know, 15 years of just you know, ugly awfulness and mediocrity. So this, it's great. I just yelled at you so loud. You have no idea. I'm, I muted the microphone and I'm alone in my office and I was screaming at the top of my lungs about every individual every, point every you made. Point, every single point, everyone. But I, I, you know, fair is fair. And, and, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna let you, uh, let you have that. Let you. <laughs> also, I have, I have an, I do have one apology to make though. Oh, here we go. The last time I was on the podcast, you asked me to make some predictions. Oh no! Don't do, don't do it, Alan. Don't do it. Don't I, don't tell us about your Aaron Judge prediction. Don't do it. I was wrong. Eddie <laughs> was going to hit forty-seven home runs. Oh, stop! I Alan, was stop. off. He hit fifty-two. <laughs> all right. So all right. I'm sorry both to the podcast listeners for getting that wrong, and Aaron Judge for underestimating him. I'm sorry. Oh. Hey guys, I just uh, smashed my microphone with a hammer. Can you still hear me? Just want to make sure you can still hear me. That that was... not to be falsely humble, so I'm not being it. <laughs> no, that worked. That worked. It, that that you, you that landed. That was a punch that landed very solidly on both. <laughs> no, nothing you can say about that. Uh, Breaking Bad 101: The Complete Critical Companion. By the way, fantastic. Fantastic stuff. So tell me, I'm going to give you this, even though you just did that, which was not necessary. (laughs) Um, No, really. I mean, obviously, you know, I watched Breaking Bad because of you, right? You you know this, that that I sent you a a text and said, hey, I don't, I haven't watched any TV, um, but I want to see a series. Which, Which series should I binge watch? And you said, well, either Breaking Bad or Mad Men. Uh, and I ended up binge watching both, but you said Breaking Bad uh, first, and and so I did. Um, what 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 were you trying to do? Well, well, give me give me give me the idea behind the book. Uh, the idea behind the book is it's it's got reviews of every single episode of the show, so you can read along with it if you're either rewatching the series or watching it for the first time. You can just sort of browse through it if suddenly, like, you're going through your day and you think about that episode with the shootout in the parking lot or the episode with the fly or the one where the Winnebago gets stuck out in the desert and you just sort of want to remind yourself of it. But it's really, it's... I love Breaking Bad. It's one yeah. of the greatest shows ever made. In some ways, even the... I think it's sort of the pinnacle of dramatic serialized TV because of the way it tells this whole complete story across 62 episodes 
of this one character and his journey from being decent to being a monster and, you know, the rise and fall of that. And it's just propulsive and exciting in every episode, but it also has individual episodes that feel great. So whether you're watching it, like, over a couple of weeks on Netflix or over six years like most of us did, you're getting sort of an incredibly satisfying experience. And I wanted to take a lot of the writings I'd done on the show, polish it up, take a do a lot of new things about it and just find a way to put it all in one package. And then Abrams books, the publishing house made a really beautiful book out of it. So uh, I'm very excited by it. It is beautiful. It is. It's a, it's a beautiful book. And and I, I I think I've told you this, but I, I I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. Uh, Binge watching breaking bad uh, was, I mean, the show's brilliant and, and, and all, you know, I mean, it's incredible, just an incredible show. And I'm glad I did it. Man, did it take me to some dark places, though. I mean, that's... Oh, I don't yeah. know that that is a show... That is a show, to me, that would be much better over six years than compacted in two horrifying weeks, or whatever it was that, that it took me. Because, man, does that thing go dark. Oh, it's very dark. <laughs> I tell a story in the introduction of the book about how the day that Ozymandias, which is the best Breaking Bad episode ever and maybe the best hour of TV drama ever aired my appendix burst and so i wound up watching that from a hospital bed with a couple of ivs going into my arm and my wife my mother and my stepfather were all in there a looking at me like i was crazy for doing this trying to recap a tv show under these conditions but b seeing their very first episode of breaking bad and i felt very sorry for them because that's not the way you should be exposed to (laughs) oh man (laughs) they had never seen the show before Yes, my wife knew what it was because I'd written about it, but, you know, we don't watch all the same shows together, and she doesn't read a lot of what I write because I'm writing about shows she doesn't watch. So suddenly they're there in the middle of the desert and people are getting their heads blown off and, you know, babies are being abducted and all sorts of crazy things are happening. Uh, And, yeah, and they're also worried that I might die because... My appendix ruptured very badly, and I was I was in the hospital for two weeks because they couldn't get the infection under control. Wow! You know, thanks, guys. Wow. Oof. Yeah. I, I, I there are two things I want to say about that. One is that uh, my wife uh, just kind of popped in when I was during the binge watch. And I don't even remember which show it was, but she's like, "Oh, Breaking Bad," and she watched about ten minutes of it and had exactly the same reaction. Like, "Oh my god, I will never watch this show ever, ever." <laughs> You know, if you don't see it from the beginning, that's I don't feel like that's one that you come in in the middle and like, oh, yeah, this looks interesting. I'd like to instead you're just like, I've just entered somebody's nightmare and I don't feel like I really want to relive that uh, with them. Uh, the second thing I want to say is, you know, you mentioned uh, your appendix bursting and obviously, uh, you know, it's it's it, it took a little while to uh, do that. You know, uh, Harry Houdini's appendix uh, burst. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. Are you, are, are you, do you know things about Harry Houdini, Joe? Well, it's weird. It's weird because uh, I'm writing this book about Harry Houdini. I, I haven't mentioned that on the show. I've tried not to. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to oversell things. But uh, yeah, you really have been very mum about. I that. I really have. I, I feel like you know. Look, at some point, I'm going to have to let people know. That's kind of what I'm thinking. That All sounds right. like a good idea to me. <laughs> It's a great book. It really is. I, 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 I will admit I've, I've been sort of, and I think it's okay to do this. I've been, I've been jumping around in it, like finding my, some of my favorite episodes and, and, and popping around and, and, and reading it that way. But uh, uh, it's fantastic. Well, you're fantastic. Despite your Yankee awfulness, 
you're 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 great. I mean, we we know that we wouldn't have you on the show otherwise. Um, I, I appreciate that, and I do I do apologize for for no, you don't no, rubbing no, it don't, in so much today. Don't back down now. Don't back down. We we, we know. No, we, I, we know I'm going to disagree with you. I think he owes us and everyone really an apology. <laughs> I think he owes America an apology, and I accept your apology. Hey, look, the last time I was on, I told you the story about how I'm responsible for the Red Sox winning the 2004 World Series. So I think I'm owed True. this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a real stretch. I, 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 I don't think any fan base, including, I'm saying I'm a New England Patriot fan saying this. I don't think any fan base is owed less than the New York <laughs> Yankees fan base is by and the universe. No, it. it's not like every Yankee game doesn't begin with a two-hour celebration of all things Yankees. I mean, it's not it's not like people inside are like, hey, you know, yeah, we've had a little bit of success. I mean, there, there's stuff in every pennant in our face uh, forever. So, you know, we, we know we know what it is. We, we know what it is. <laughs> we have questions. We have lots of reader questions that, that we want to get to. But uh, I don't know. Just, Michael, any thoughts? You know, as we've been sitting here talking with Alan – uh, this this thought keeps jumping into my mind. I tried to dismiss it because uh, I, 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 I don't want to make a big deal out sure. of it, but I now feel like it's important enough that I should just come out and say it. And I'm going to speak off the cuff, and I hope that I don't offend anybody or, or don't say anything that I'm going to later regret. But uh, for what it's worth, it's, it'll only take about 30 seconds. I just want to take a second to tell you about the StatCast podcast which is a show dedicated to the analytics that drive front office decisions in the modern game it's hosted by mike petriello and and matt myers and last week they dug deep into the data for some insight into the postseason which teams benefit most from home field advantage why should clayton kershaw never pitch into the seventh inning to hear the answers you can download the show from apple podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching for Statcast podcast or by going to statcastpodcast.com. That's just what I. Yeah. That's just what I was yeah, thinking no, about. I, I again, I'm a, I apologize if that offends anybody or Alan, anything. Alan, are you offended? I mean, I mean, when a man speaks from the heart like that in such an impromptu fashion, I can't really hold it against him. I, that's what I say. Thank you, that's Alan. What I say. Thank that's you. What I say. Um, I'd also like to say, for the record, that's the first time I've ever said statcastpodcast.com correctly, and I'm kind of proud of myself. <laughs> that was impressive. That was impressive. <laughs> Somebody actually asked me to grade you on a 13-point scale with eight being the best. Um, <laughs> so so sure. nailed it eight it's an eight uh, thank on you that one. all right we got some questions um uh, Al, uh alan i think some of these are for you as well you of course we want you to weigh in on all of them but i think some are very specifically uh for you uh but we'll start with this one matt wants to know uh to save your child's life you must either become a yankees fan for life or vote for trump in 2020 what do you do Oh man, Matt! I'm not falling for this, Matt. Matt, I'm not falling for your for your uh, evil plot, uh, your evil <laughs> your evil Batman esque trap. I there's another way out. There's a third way, and and I'm finding it. That's that's how I got to say. I mean, I feel like um, I mean, there's an ethical answer. I think. There is an ethical answer, but it's the wrong. I answer. just can't. I can't give it because the because it's too horrifying. Uh, I think um, I think the answer is I take my child. Yep. I drive to Elon Musk's house. <laughs> I say, "Hey, Rocket Man, uh, give me one of your rockets and blast me into space." So, 
basically, <laughs> and I'm gonna call. I will colonize Mars. I will leave. I'll just leave the planet. My my child and I will be the first people to call. All and and like if the rocket blows up and it, it before we reach Mars, so be it. You know, we'll get a, a we'll, we had a great ride. So basically, you would be Jor-El from Superman, and you would that's how you do it. Like the planet's gonna yes, the world is ending. Right. The, world, <laughs> the world is blowing up anyway. The world is so ending, well and the only the only uh, the only logical option is to get into some kind of vessel and blast <laughs> off of the planet that you're on. <laughs> bees wants to know bees. If you're making a sandwich burger with multiple ingredients, in what order should the ingredients be stacked on the lower bun bread? Oh. Alan, you want to take this one? No, like no, Mike. Sandwiches are your thing. All you. No, but but, but I'm also a vegetarian, vegetarian. Remember, so I, I I don't think I have the moral authority to weigh in on this. I think the I think the that if, to me, if you're going to make a, a sandwich uh, the right way, the bottom. But so we're just kind of going up. Um, right. You either you can put like lettuce on the bottom there, and then the the meat. Uh, or put the meat straight on. I don't think you want a whole lot on the bottom of the sandwich. And then all the other stuff, depending on what you like, whatever condiments, the onions, the, you know, whatever else you like on top of the sandwich, that would all go on top. And the only thing you really want at the bottom is just a solid base. That that seems to be. I'll tell you what I did when back when I ate hamburgers. I'll tell you what I used to do. I'm not sure if this is... I, I don't feel as strongly about this as I feel about certain other sandwich <laughs> issues. But I would put uh, my choice of condiments was uh, was uh, mustard and ketchup, and I would put one of them, usually mustard, right on the bottom bun. Then I would put the meat on the on that. No. Then I no, would go wrong. lettuce. Then I would go lettuce, tomato, onion, and then I would put the other condiment on the other bun. Oh, and the reason I, I did see. that is because if you if you put both of the condiments on one side of it, they they there was too much liquid and it would squish off. Oh. But if you separated them, one on each bun. It would uh, it it made it better in my experience, but again, I don't feel strongly about this. Alan says I'm wrong. No, Why am I wrong? Want to put you want to put the meat on top of the bottom piece of bread because you want the least amount of distance between your mouth, you know, your tongue, your teeth, and the meat as possible. Like everything, yeah, but, else, uh, but like, you... everything else is dressing it up, but you like you don't want the lettuce or the tomato or anything else to distract your mouth from the actual flavor of the reason you're eating the sandwich in the first place. Oh, you're talking about for flavor reasons. I see. Yes. Okay. So you're saying Not if you put for mustard flavor. on the, if you put mustard on the bottom bun, the first thing that your tongue tastes when you bite into it is mustard and not. Yeah, and then you might as well just meat. be having a mustard sandwich. <laughs> I, you're, you're, you, you feel? I, look, I I would tend to agree with you, and, and I think that's that's probably right. I wouldn't necessarily put the condiment, but you might be overthinking that one. And and for me to say that on this podcast is like that's really. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. This podcast, which is it's located in the in your iTunes menu under the subcategory overthinking. overthinking. Exactly. Yeah. Wait, 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 so it's not a parenting podcast yeah, anymore. It's, both. it's, it's in both. both. It's, it's overthinking. The hashtags are parenting, overthinking, <laughs> not baseball. Surprisingly, just parenting and overthinking. M wants to know. All right, here you go. This is for you, Alan. I'd like to know which season or scene Breaking Bad jumped the shark because deep down. Alan knows it did. Ouch, Alan. I uh, I have to dispute the premise of this question yeah, a little I bit. Got, yeah, yeah. I a I think the phrase "jumping the shark" is overused, but B I don't think Breaking Bad did that. You know, uh, I know a lot of people hate the Fly episode. I love the Fly episode. I was happy that on the cover of Breaking Bad 101, the complete critical companion, available in stores now, they have a photo of the Fly or a picture Flies of the there. Fly. 
yeah. as part of the cover. Um, so I don't. There are some episodes that are better than others, but I don't think it ever came close to jumping the shark. Michael, do you have I would, any thoughts? I would, no, I would. I would one hundred percent agree with that. That I mean, I I hate. I truly deeply hate the phrase "jumping yeah, the shark." Yeah. Uh, I think it's like, and also uh, even disregarding how much I hate it. I think that it's misused. Like the phrase, the original meaning of the phrase was refer to the episode of uh, Happy Days where Fonzie, Fonzie was on was on water skis and jumped over an actual shark. Right. I mean that the point of it was like, w- at what point does a show get so insane and so absurd and do something so out of character with its original concept that it's like, oh well, this show's done now. And people just now people for years now people have used it to refer to an episode they just don't like. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. It's just, which is which is uh, not the original intent. So I I would agree with Alan. I that show in the truest sense of the word that show never came close to jumping no. the shark. And even if you take the perverted meaning of it, which is like, did it ever do an episode that was just really screwy and like out of character? It also didn't do that. That show was remarkably consistent in the way it was written, the way it was shot, the way that the plot unfolded, the way the characters behaved. It was. It's one of the greatest character studies of all time. The famous pitch that Vince Gilligan made was we're going to take Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. <laughs> and that that show did exactly that slowly and steadily and methodically over years and years and years in an incredibly specific and detail-oriented way. So I, I believe that it did not ever even remotely approach the concept of jumping right, shark. Right, and I like the original concept. I, look, I, the phrase is, is gone. I mean, forget it. But the idea of a show, like to me... Like people would point out different, you know, different things of when a show started going downhill or when a show had an episode that was that that didn't quite fit or whatever. But to me, jumping the shark is when a show has already gone into like weird places that didn't work, but now is so stupid that that nobody could even deny like like. I believe that Gilligan's Island, which probably, you know, in the in the typical uh, phrase of Gilligan's Island, jumping the shark would have been at any point, like right when the show started. The pilot. The right, exactly. Jump the pilot, jump but the shark. Me, That's right. The, if you, even if you are willing to just buy into the Gilligan's Island thing, when they decided to have a celebrity basketball game with the Harlem Globetrotters on the island right. – that's when that's it jumped right. the shark. That's when. That's, like, right. that's, that's the meaning of the word. <laughs> a celebrity basketball anymore. game against robots. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't leave out the robots, man. Yeah. Yeah. Laura wants to know how many good place points does the average human have? Average dog and average cat. And and Laura has uh, guesses. The guess for human is minus forty-two good place points for the average human. The dog, 300,400,500 positive. (laughs) And cat, negative Google. That's basically the the Lauro guess. Um, I can tell you that as part of the um, internal use only sort of backstory uh, about about good place and bad place points, what the writers have determined is the average human being is actually in negative territory. Oh, there you go. So, that was so very, guess. very slightly, right around zero, but very slightly into negative territory. So that's a that's a pretty good that's guess. That's a good guess. Um, yeah, uh, the average dog. Um, you are you are a dog person? Question asker, obviously, yes. and and you are thinking about only the good things that dogs. <laughs> that is do. true. That this is true. Um, and. And I love dogs. I think dogs are wonderful. However, dogs do a lot of really stupid and terrible things. 
they give you a lot of love. They're very other-directed. They're very other-oriented, and that is, generally speaking, within the show, something that gets you a lot of points. However, like, pooping on a carpet also uh, is it's bad. No, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, and in, in general, just pooping outside is bad, <laughs> and making other people clean it up is bad. Uh, they also tend to growl yeah. uh, aggressively at people that they shouldn't be growling at. They can't discern between a uh, dangerous intruder and like a right. normal visitor right. to your house. Right. Uh, they can make my son uh, was riding his bike when he was like five years old and a dog in a yard uh, that had a fence. Thank goodness came running up to the fence and barked at him so loudly. He fell off his bike and, and has to this day a little bit of a fear of dogs. Yeah. And so, you know, that's not good. So I, I would say dogs are probably, generally speaking, in the positive. Uh, they don't do a lot of, they don't make a lot of bad moral choices because they're incapable of that. So I think just the general outpouring of love probably gets them into positive territory. Not nearly 300 million. I would say the average dog has somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 good place points. Uh, and cats uh, have refused to participate in the system. So they get an N.A., they all cats get an NA because they don't. They haven't bothered to register uh, with the system because they have. They're so full of disdain uh, and contempt for all of the activities of humans that they don't. It doesn't matter to them, and and you can give them a point total, but they won't care. Mike, Alan? I have a related question to this. Yeah, sure. Have you in the writers' room ever attempted to assign yourselves points? Uh, not specifically that the subject came up once. Um, and then we realized very quickly that it was, it was a really bad idea, uh, for a number of reasons. I, um, when I was working on the pilot, I decided to kind of, to, to try to come up with, uh, an estimate for what my personal score would be. And I don't, I'm not going to share it, uh, with you, but based on, it was, it was sort of like, I was running a, a little beta test. I was saying like, this is what I, this is how I think it works. And these are the kinds of things I think are like big point getters and big point losers. And I kind of tried to run a simulation with myself to see, to, to sort of test it. Uh, and, you know, I suffice to say, I wouldn't make it in to the, <laughs> to the good place. The way it's laid out, I would not, I would not make it uh, in. And, and, and I think the same is true of, of everyone. I mean, most part, part of the design of the show is that it's very, very hard to make it in. It's a, it's a deliberately very elite system. So no one in the writer's room, or no one I know really, uh, personally at least, would, would come close. Alan, Alan, you would come close except for this Yankee thing. which it... oh, Alan, oh, Alan is so screwed. No, that, I mean, right away. Like it, he could, tomorrow, Alan could dive into the Hudson River and save like a hundred drowning people from like a ferry disaster and he still wouldn't make it in. It's that bad. The universe can't yeah, it's, it's, that it's, much. It's, All right. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. I didn't look. I didn't invent this system. D you kind of did. D Shama wants to know how many episodes of a new show before you give up on. Trust me, it gets good recommendations. Alan has actually written about this very subject fairly recently. Right? I have, yeah, because I, you know, I used to be that guy. Like, oh, you know. Give this show six episodes. Give this show a season. It gets really good at this point. And I would do this. I would do this with Parks and Rec, for instance, where people weren't necessarily crazy about the first season. And I said, "No, you got to come back. It's awesome now." And it feels like there's just such a confluence 
of shows now, and so many shows that are almost deliberately starting out slowly, like they're relying on this whole, oh, it gets better later, that I'm really, I'm much more reluctant to make that recommendation now than I used to be. Because, like, if you have to watch seven hours of something before you get to something you're going to enjoy, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I I mean, I, I think that's right. I think seven is way too much. I mean, I think three, maybe three. I mean, it, it depends how much you trust the person who is giving you the recommendation. I mean, if Alan is giving you the recommendation, I'll give it three episodes, I guess. That's it, really. Only three. I, I think. I mean, what, would you would you give more than three to? to... Uh, I think I think it uh, to me it depends more on like is the subject matter of the show something that I'm interested in. Right. Like, if the subject matter of the show intrigues me. And I've heard that it gets really good halfway through the season. I'm more likely to stick with it than if the the very nature, the vibe of the show, the subject matter of the show, isn't something I'm naturally inclined to. Then I'll give up a little sooner. But it's very like you do so at your own peril. I remember when the show Halt and Catch Fire came out, and the first season got some sort of middling reviews. And my initial thought, my immediate thought was, oh, thank God, I don't have to watch that because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> people don't think it's so great. And then, starting in season two, the narrative became, oh my god, I can't believe how much better this, this show is amazing now. And I didn't have not read any of Alan's reviews of it, because I, don't, I haven't seen it yet. But I saw his review of, the, of this, what I believe is the series finale, right, Alan? Was it the yeah, series finale that just aired? Yeah, it was, the, the headline was, the series finale of Halt and Catch Fire is a perfect idea, perfectly executed. Wow. And now my my initial thought after seeing that was, damn it, now, <laughs> yep. now I've got to go, I've got to watch that show. And so I think it's now it's like a relief when you feel like you can skip something, except that then you you do so at your own peril because later most shows get better as they go along. Uh, not most, many do. And now I'm in this position where like I know that lingering out there is four or five seasons of a show that I'll probably really like, and I've got to figure out how, when I'm going to watch them. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's our. I I mean, there's also I mean, you, you have to have a little bit of your own your own judgment in there, right? I mean, you have to feel like okay, well, I'm, I'm not crazy about the show early on, but I see some potential here, right? I mean, you have to you have to feel that a little. bit. I mean, like like I I think it was he was either Alan or or uh, or, or my buddy our buddy Mike Vaccaro, uh who told me to watch The Wire. I I didn't watch The Wire live, and and so that was another binge watch for me. And uh, and he told me, give it three episodes that, you know, the first first couple of episodes. I mean, it's they're good, but you might not you might not get the the vibe of this thing until you give it like three episodes. So uh, so I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to give three episodes, even for something that I'm not that crazy about. But but that's probably about it. I got to say. That's tough, man. You're a tough crowd. Well, it's too much TV. There's too much stuff. I mean, you know, it's like in the old days, I'd give it a thousand episodes or only three networks. I mean, there was what else were we going to do? But, <laughs> you had no choice. You had no choice. I'll watch a hundred <laughs> growing pains and see if they get any better. Can I make a confession here on this? Sure. Yeah. That, that relief you talked about before, Mike, I feel it. Like, it's my job to look for good TV, and there are times where I'm watching a pilot, and it's terrible. And 15 minutes in, I'm like... This is the best feeling. I'm never going to have to watch this TV show again <laughs> after this episode. Yes. You know, when I hear yeah. from other critics who've just watched something that I had low expectations for, and they say, oh, it's great. Like, a part of me is like, okay, well, I guess I'll watch that. And a part of me thinks, damn it. 
<laughs> right. Yes, because now you have another thing you have to do. Yeah. yeah, and there's so much, and there's so much of it out there. All right, Jeff wants to know, this is from Michael and specifically, so Alan, no weighing in on this. Sorry, me either. Uh, Michael, is CC Sabathia this good? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I publicly tweeted like a like a, a Zen Cohen or a mantra or something. Just CC Sabathia is not this good. CC Sabathia is not this good over and over, over, and again. over again. Just to, because, uh, it, and the thing is, it worked the first time. He was throwing a shutout, like he was throwing like a one hitter through four innings his first start. And then I started tweeting that, and then he was knocked out of the game in the fifth. So I started doing it again uh, last night, and it did not work. He threw six innings of three-hit shutout baseball against the against the best offense in baseball. Why, you ask? Because nothing is fair and the world is terrible. That's why. <laughs> Uh, so no, the answer is no, he's not this good. Uh, he, he has basically transformed himself from fireballing, slinging Randy Johnson, left-hander CC Sabathia, uh, of the, of mid two thousands into Greg Maddox. Somehow he throw, he, he has, um, he has like a, a, some kind of, um, Alan, you remember the, you know, the X-Files episode, the pusher, right? Yes. Of course. Famous episode. Describe the describe the plot of the pusher for the readers if they're not familiar with it. Oh my god. Um. He he has like mental powers and he can make people do what he wants them to do. Am I is is that right or have I mixed it That's up? That's right. With one? Okay. That's yeah, right. Yeah. He he can sort of put. He can almost incept in real time. I he he says to a a, 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 a law enforcement officer is uh, put this guy in the back of his car and is driving him and he says something about cerulean blue. And the guy just drives out into traffic and they get hit by a truck, a blue truck. And then the guy jumps out of the car and escapes. Uh, the, the point of this is obviously this is what CC Sabathia is. He's a pusher. <laughs> he has this supernatural ability to get into the minds of hitters and make them take 89 mile an hour fastballs middle middle for strike one. And then to swing at 83 mile an hour changeups that are eight inches off the plate. Right at the ankles and ground out weekly to second base. I don't know where he developed this ability. I, I, I don't know whether it was given to him by aliens or whether he was born with it and only sort of discovered like greatest American hero style, how to <laughs> harness it recently. But that is why he is pitching this. Well, it's not because uh, he's just learned how to do this. It's because he has uh, he was blessed with this sort of, telekinetic supernatural ability that he's now learned how to employ. All right, but let me aliens. ask, let me ask you this, Mike, you guys did this mm -hmm. whole funnest players bracket uh, a few weeks back. You t you extol right. the virtues of Bartolo Colon, who went well beyond his seed in that particular bracket. What makes CC Sabathia also a great big guy who is pitching forever and has become crafty in his old age? What makes him less fun than Bartolo? I mean, so many things. <laughs> Um, Other than the first of all, CC wears. CC Sabathia is thirty-seven. Bartolo Colon is fifty-eight. Seventy-two. Um, CC Sabathia has lost weight as he's gotten older. Bartolo Colon has gained weight as he's gotten older. Bartolo Colon is, as you know, a perfect cube. He is five feet tall and exactly five feet wide. And CC Sabathia is a normal-looking. He has a normal-looking human form. Bartolo Colon has a crazy frizzy, like weird afro thing. Uh, that's great. Bartolo Colon also hit a home run and the home run call was <laughs> what was it exactly do you remember it Joe? was uh the impossible has happened <laughs> the impossible has happened that's right um 
And finally, need I remind you, CeCe Zabathia plays for the New York Yankees. That's right. That's the main one. That really is the main one. Yeah, I could have led with that, but then the argument would have been over. So I decided to make all the other side arguments first. That's right. If Bartolo Colon went to the Yankees, he would instantly stop being fun. That's that. Oh, my God. He'd be a waking nightmare. He was all Yankees. And he was a nightmare when he was. Yes, and he was. And, he, and I hated him. And I tweeted all the time about how unfair it was that he was pitching well. I remember that. Homer J wants to know, scariest Halloween costume. Is it a vampire, a werewolf, or Bryce Harper in a Yankees uniform? <laughs> that one sounds good to me. Yeah, we, we know we know it does. All right, David wants to know, uh, which Parks and Rec character would be most and least into this podcast? <laughs> oh man uh well i'm tempted to say the most would be jerry just because he's like he's no question nice guy, no right question right it's he wouldn't understand any of it but he would think it was so neat that like that these friends got together and did the, he would also be like kind of blown away by the technical uh aspect of it like how do you you have micro how does it work exactly are you in the same you're not in the same room Oh, man. You know, he would be impressed by that. He I mean, would. least I would say I'm tempted to say least would be Ron Swanson simply because he hated all technological anything. But I'm, I feel like April might hate it more than Ron. <laughs> Alan, you, what do you well, think? Well, I've been thinking about this because the problem is Ron and Andy are the only two characters who care at all about sports. And neither right. of them are podcast listeners. So, right. I, don't, I mean, maybe like Ben is a secret like... It's the podcast is wonky enough that he would listen to it, even though he doesn't really care about baseball. It's interesting. He might be sort of vaguely interested in the in the, I mean, in the like the pop culture, the way it is sort of overlaps with like a discussion of like the culture in some way yeah. or statistics and stuff. Yeah, it's possible. I think it's pretty reasonable to think none of them would listen to this. As, <laughs> as, <laughs> it seems fairly obvious. Um. All right, we have time for, like, uh, like let's do three more here. All right, here we go. Uh, any thoughts on team names if MLB expands to Portland, which is uh, – Chris is asking that, uh, which is a good way to talk, actually, a little bit about this. There was a story uh, in the last few days that baseball is very seriously uh, along the road of adding two teams. Uh, so, uh, so I guess, you know, I'll ask around the, the room, one, uh, if they if they do add two teams, where would you like to see those those teams play? And two, uh, what what would the team name be for Portland? Alan, you you go ahead and start. I don't I don't know why they're trying to expand. Uh, there's there's already some teams that are in a lot of financial trouble as it is. This just seems a, sure. an easy way to pick up expansion fees without worrying about whether these communities can support it. I mean, no, if, that's right. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's that's exactly it. Yes. If you're going to do it, and I don't say this because I live in New Jersey, but I honestly think if they're going to do an expansion team, one should either be here in New Jersey or in Brooklyn, because like the New York market overall could support another team, and sure. like I just think it would be getting a better head start. Obviously, you're fighting against the weight of history and all of that, but I, th- I still think you're going to be better off there than in Portland or, or Vegas or some of the other places they've talked about. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to deny our pal Jonah Carey the chance to have a new Montreal team. So, what the hell? Expand. All right. So, those two. So, so you would do New York and and Montreal for Jonah. Yeah. Uh, and then and then what would you name the Portland team if you were wrong? Uh, Portland. Uh, Portland Hipsters? No. No? That's fine. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> 
really going first thought on this. All right, yeah. Michael, what what do you think? I would uh, put both uh, expansion teams in Miami <laughs> and have all three teams share that terrible park <laughs> and have and have there be like games where there's literally where literally no one even knows the games are happening. Right. You know, like the have like like remember the the weird game they played in Baltimore when there was uh, unrest they, in the streets when they didn't allow right. a crowd in. Stadium, that would be the yeah. average game then played in Miami would be just oh no one knew that's I mean it was advertised and stuff it was on the schedule just no one came it would just be empty. Um, uh, and then uh, I, as far as Portland goes, I just jotted some things down. How about the uh, Portland artisanal jam canneries <laughs> or the Portland mason jar cocktails? Or the Portland handcrafted mustache combs. Those are my three pitches. <laughs> the handcrafted mustache. That's combs. the winner. I, I like think. it. Yeah, that might be. That, that's really, really good. And um, then you can imagine, like, they're they're for, first of all, obviously the uniforms are like 19th century uniforms. <laughs> it's the opposite of the Yankees' uh, facial hair rules, where all of the players have to have long handlebar mustaches. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that, and uh, and they should bring back their stadium. Should br- it should bring back um, like the 19th century situation, where like there's basically no outfield fence, and there's the the crowd can go have picnics on the in the outfield. You know, have you ever seen those old photographs of like yes. the yeah, yes. like the 1902 World Series and stuff? There were like fans are just standing around in the outfield. Um, that would be really fun. By the way, I, I will say this about Portland, a city I truly love. Yes. Portland, it, going to see, if you have the chance to see the Portland, uh, a, a, a soccer game in Portland, that stadium, that scene and that stadium is amazingly fun. It is so fun. It is raucous and loud. And I feel like I don't want MLB to expand at all. I think they are at their uppermost limit of uh, <laughs> of saturation in this in the country. But the the people of Portland... Are, are love their sports and they I feel like they deserve to have a baseball team I think it would be cool I don't think they should expand I think a team should leave a city that it, uh, that doesn't like baseball and move to Portland that would be fine I think it's worth trying at least um, as long as they don't bilk the taxpaying public out of uh, money well, to build a new stadium but, which, which they of course would which I they mean, of course would yeah course um you know I think the story that 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 uh, that is being referenced uh, was written by um, uh, Tracy Ring- Ringlesby, and and uh, he's very plugged in. I mean, the, the story itself didn't seem overwhelmingly sourced. I mean, there wasn't, you know, but it but it just sort of gave this general vibe. So if they happen to go in that direction, yeah, I'd love to see Montreal get a team again. I don't know if it would work there uh, the second time either, but uh, I'd love it. I love Montreal, and uh, certainly there was a period of time where the Expos were, were quite beloved. Uh, and I love Portland, and I would, I would, uh, so I would say those two if they, if they do it. Of course, I live in Charlotte. I would love to see Charlotte get a team just for for selfish reasons. Uh, but I think Portland uh, is is certainly uh, the you know a terrific candidate, I guess. Uh, and I would call them the the Trailblazers. I, I think that the teams the teams have gone away from this like you know naming the same team you know the different sports the same name like that was awesome. Like the so you had to call them the New York Football Giants or the St. Louis Football Cardinals and all that. Everything in Portland should just be because first of all it's a great name and secondly that would that would be such a throwback to the old days where they're like oh I'm going to see the Trailblazers. Which, I which like one? that. That's a which great one idea. Are you going to go see? Yeah. All right. Uh, two more. Uh, since there were none, Mark wants to know. Since there were none in the official tournament, who is the funnest Dodger? Who is the funnest Dodger? Oh, Turner, easily, right? Yeah, I think it is. My Alan, what do you think? 
Uh, yeah, no, it's Turner. <laughs> no, it's Turner. <laughs> there we go. It's, I mean, we have a, we have an affirmative answer. I, I mean, yeah, I, I I feel like the only the only uh, other possibility is like Kershaw or something, just because his talent is so overwhelming. But he's yeah, not... I mean, look, they've got some fun. Corey Seager's a super fun guy. Yeah, uh, but just he's just fun because he's good. Like Turner is great and looks like a crazy person. That's it's got to be right. yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing I would say, and 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 I, you know, having seen the Dodgers play throughout the postseason, I've been following the the uh, the Dodgers as it turns out. Um, man, I did not appreciate how good Justin Turner is. I just I knew he was a terrific player, and obviously I'd seen him play before, and I and I you know knew all about the numbers and all of that. That guy just never, ever, ever gives you a bad at bat, like ever. Like the you never like everybody else it seems like in baseball at some point you're going to watch them and it's going to be kind of a critical situation. And on the first pitch, they're going to pop up in the infield or hit some, you know, or they'll swing at three pitches out of the zone. And you're just like, that's, that was just a disastrous at bat. He just never has that. Like every at bat he hits, they're all eight pitch at bats where he battles and battles until, you know, the pitcher is just given up hope. And, and, and then he, he drives a ball into a gap somewhere. I mean, that, He's a, he's fantastic. He I will really also say um, another thing I like about him is that unlike certain players who I could mention but won't, he is Let's not he's not six eight and weighs four hundred pounds <laughs> and built like RoboCop. Uh, he is five eleven. He's a he's a normal sized human being uh, who doesn't have the advantages of being uh, superhuman. Superhuman, uh, yeah, and, and a cyborg. That, part, that is an, another thing that makes him fun to me. I will also say, the last thing I'll say about Turner, after having watched him very closely this whole year, he's a much better defender than I think he gets yeah. credit for. He is a very, very slick defender at third. He makes most of the plays that you have to make as a third baseman. He comes in on the ball really well. He makes that barehanded off-balance throw really well. He picks short hops really well. He goes to his left really well. Like He's a very, very good player, and signing is secretly... The secret to this Dodger season has been re-signing him, I think, after uh, he was a free agent at the end of the year last year. I agree. I agree. TJ wants us to point out, which is the, it's embarrassing that we didn't. Uh, there is Puig also. There is yes, yes. Sir Puig. Great point. Uh, Great point. Well, yeah. I can't. That yes. in fact, maybe we should change our answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, he'll Puig, but he's playing the way he's played this postseason. I mean, it's it's hard to. You know, he 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 probably should have been on our list. You know, like the funnest players in baseball. Yeah, I mean, Puig he... is unbelievably fun. Puig hit a ball last night. If you haven't seen this yet, go. To, I'm I I think the MLB uh, highlights clips thing should have it. Puig oh, hit a sure. double off the wall last night. That was it's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. <laughs> he hit he hit a ball that when it passed the pitchers. There's a there's an old story which I don't know if it's true or not that I think was about Bo Jackson and Nolan Ryan do you know what I'm talking about Joe when Bo Jackson hit a home run off Nolan Ryan yeah. where the launch angle was so low that Ryan reached up to try to catch it right 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 that which I've never seen but I've always heard that story last night Puig made me believe that story because he hit a double off the wall last night that was hit so hard that when it left the frame it looked like it was going to it looked like it had a pretty good shot of being caught by the shortstop like that's yeah. what and uh, it was it was at such a low angle, and then the left the the Cubs left whoever it was Schwarber I guess yeah because Schwarber threw to, threw him out I think or tried to, 
just turned around. He knew he wasn't going to get back on the ball. He just turned around and watched, and it sailed over his head and hit off the wall. It was one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen in my life. He is, he is such a monster, that guy. I, I, he, he hits the ball so hard. So it's so fun to watch. And, and just him throwing the ball back to the infield is just a wonder. I mean, that arm is absurd. I mean, every, he's absurd. He's, he's wonderful. And look, he, I, I get uh, having, having uh, you know, followed him for a long time and having talked to a lot of people in the Dodger organization, I get that there are moments that he's not particularly fun. I get it. Uh, but man, when he's playing like this, as I a mean, player, you gotta, you gotta give it up. Insane. It's insane. Last right. thing to say about Justin Turner, by the way, is he was actually originally drafted by the Yankees. Hmm. How about that? Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. <laughs> Would we would we feel as fun about him uh, if he were still with the Yankees? No, just reading that fact may, makes me hate him. Like, I, most... no, it, in a, in a past life makes you hate him in a past life. Yeah, all right, that's fair. He's gone. Um, all right, last one. Elijah wants to know uh, if Alan Sepinwall was writing a recap of this podcast, <laughs> what would his as soon as I be? Oh. Oh, man, I, I would have had some good ones for the one you did with Linda in terms of as soon as it's really a puppet, and, you know, and the cookies don't go down. For this one... Uh... For those of you who don't know, by the way, when Alan recaps a TV show... Well, you can, you can explain Yeah, th- this began you, in the days should... when, like, the idea of you having to click through to read a full blog entry was still unusual enough that I kind of had to tell people to do it. So I would say a review of this show coming up just as soon as, and then I would pick out something from the episode and do that, and sure. then it leads into the review, and I still do that years later, even though everyone now knows to click through and it doesn't need to be explained at all. Ah, for this one, uh... I don't know, just, just as soon as I call Aaron Judge a scrappy underdog? <laughs> That's pretty good. I was going to suggest just as, uh, just as soon as I... Uh, something about RoboCop. Yeah, yeah, just as soon as um, I explain that RoboCop is a cyborg. There you go. Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> just way, as soon as I Linda... explain that RoboCop did not shoot missiles. <laughs> you mentioned Linda. We had Linda on the, on the podcast uh, last week. Uh, Linda Holmes from NPR, who is... Uh, Fantastic, and is our special uh, special senior special senior correspondent, right? Special senior correspondent, and uh, there were numerous. Uh, there were not questions; they were more just like pierced throughout the the questions. There would just be numerous people saying, "Linda totally destroyed you guys in that draft." Yeah, I know. I was actually a little surprised at that. I thought she did very well in the draft. She did, but she I, did. I it was pretty unanimous that she had won. Now, to be fair to us, she. She tainted the the uh, uh, the the audience a little bit by claiming on Twitter before the podcast came out that she had won. Yeah, she it was a, it was a tainted sample. She kind of she incepted the audience into believing that she had won she, before before uh, it even started. Before it even right. started. But I was still surprised about how how unanimous the uh, opinions were. Well, and by the way, did, what is what does Commissioner uh, Goodell have to say about her? her claiming victory before the draft is even out there for people. She's to, been uh... banned from the podcast for five years. <laughs> I, I wondered. I wondered. I thought it would be a little bit harsh, but, uh, yeah, five years seems... He doesn't mess around, you know? He's a law... Oh. He's, a, he's all about protecting the shield. <laughs> he, really, he really is. All right, it's time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Talk 
about sports and we draft things we know Like how beaches are terrible places to go No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe The podcast won't It's one last And Alan, I don't even know if you prepared one, but I'm going to put you on the spot and 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 uh, ask you what your one last meeting was. Uh, I have is. one. It's it's kind of stretching the definition of this in that it involves a wedding, the, and wed- weddings are oh, that's very fine. meaningful. No, that's fine. No, not to us. Over over the weekend, <laughs> I had. There's two parts to this story. The first part is over the weekend, I had the uh, unexpected pleasure of being invited to be the officiant at the wedding. Not not of friends of mine, not a family of mine, of two TV fans who were doing a TV themed wedding. Who thought, wouldn't it be cool if we got a TV critic to officiate the wedding and like make us say the vows and everything? And I got to do this. And I, I got myself ordained by the Universal Life Church and all of that, and I'm now available to perform weddings in the city of New York. TV weddings yes, all over the exactly. country. <laughs> Brisses, bar mitzvahs, whatever you want. Uh, and what was great was the couple gave me a list of some of their favorite shows that they would love to hear me maybe mention at some point in my remarks. And listed among those shows were The Office, Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Master of None. Wow. All of which Mike may have heard. Hey. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I, I... Is this Michael getting married? What is this? So I went... It was my wedding. I went to another television writer I know just to sort of ask for a couple of bits of advice. And I mentioned the fact, like, here's the list of shows. And his very first response was, that's four Mike Schur shows there. That's not cool. He was very, very <laughs> envious and unhappy that you were getting all the love from this couple he had never met who were getting married and wanted all four of your shows to be mentioned at some point in the ceremony. Uh, that I'm going to take that. I'm going to say you failed in your assignment because that you accidentally were meaningful. Damn it. You were meaningful. Uh, you were, I, meaning, I, that you were is right. meaningful to me to know that there are people out there for whom the shows I've created and worked on are important enough to be included in their wedding vows. That's like the, maybe the definition of meaningful. So you yeah, blew I'm, it. All right, I'm I, sorry. I, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm no, I don't think I don't think you blew it. It is meaningless. <laughs> I, I think it is meaningless. But I also think it's meaningful that anybody uh, who's listening to this should go read uh, Alan's story about uh, officiating the wedding because it it really is excellent. I mean, it's really it's really touching and in a in a funny, but uh, but there's there's you know that's it's cool. I mean, it's it's I, I think it was actually pretty cool. So. Uh, I'm giving it to you. Look, you've said so much worse on this podcast. I mean, come on. Let's, that's true. And let's in terms of the sins you've uh, you've <laughs> indulged in, that's low on the list. All right, Michael, what you got? Um, I, I was going to do uh, – I had a different one in mind, but I'm going to change it at the last second. And my one last meaningless thing is I am realizing, because of what has transpired today, that I've never seen the movie RoboCop. <laughs> I thought I had. I'm, I was like, I'm sure – I talk about it all the time. I must have seen like a – chunk of it or something but i've trailer. never i have just realized that i've never seen yeah maybe just the trailer or something i have never seen robocop i don't know the story of robocop i don't know i saw in theaters i saw the sylvester stallone judge dread uh i am the law that famous thing sure. uh and i think in my head maybe i had conflated judge dread and robocop or something judge dread is also but not I, a robot but alan 
I know, but I but I just I felt like I had seen it is my point. And I I'm realizing because of Alan because of Alan correcting me on two bits of nerd trivia, which is usually a thing I'm pretty good at. Sure. That the Robocop was a cyborg and that Robocop didn't shoot missiles, that made me realize I've never seen Robocop. The question I would put to you, Alan, and to you, Joe, should I see Robocop? <laughs> I've not I've not seen Alan? the second Robocop, so I can't speak to the one with Joel Kinnaman. The one with Peter Weller is pretty good. It's very eighties and you just have to look at it as like yeah. a satire because it's very over the top and very disgusting and very violent. And there's some people who sort of watched it and took it at face value and that's unfortunate. But you know, that was that was an important part of, of my you know, adolescence, that movie. All right. Yeah, I'm, I yeah. don't see it. No, Joe's right. Joe's right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're fine. You're fine. It's, it's, it, it, will, it will add nothing to your life at all. Okay, great. Um, all right, my one last meaningless thing. I actually put a poll up. because To me, nothing should be more meaningless uh, than Twitter polls because obviously we know they don't mean anything at all and they're stupid. So they should be, no, so just, they should be meaningless. And I put up a Twitter poll asking people, I was in a hotel room uh, at the time, obviously on the road with this Dodgers thing, and I asked people, do you prefer your bed uh, to be parallel with the window, assuming there's one like long window, uh, wall of window or whatever, uh, do you want your bed to be parallel to the window or do you want it to be facing the window, so perpendicular to the window? Uh, and I, I put this up on Twitter and like a thousand people voted. It would, I, I really want a, a, to do a poll where like one person or six people vote, right? Like where, every, where everybody basically says that's even too stupid for me to take one second to click one of these buttons, right? Sure. But like a thousand people voted and not after a little while, people started expressing that they had very strong opinions about this. Uh, and by the way, a huge percentage of these people uh, want the bed parallel to the window. Uh, and some were explaining why, because you get more light and, and, you know, they were very, they were very passionate about this thing, uh, that I didn't care about that. I just wanted to put on Twitter. And as this thing progressed, I realized, cause I prefer it actually not, I prefer it facing the window. Uh, and I realized as this went on, I was getting angrier and angrier that I was in the minority and that, that all these people were wrong and I'm right. Uh, and so this incredibly pointless, meaningless, stupid thing that I did started to like really get under my skin. And I realized after going through that whole process, that's Twitter. That's basically Twitter right there. Um, I just want to say for the record, if anyone is wondering how to correctly deliver a meaningless thing at the end of this podcast, that, that should be frozen in amber. And and held up as the model by which all future meaningless things are judged. I, I believe I believe I should teach the course. Uh, you I really should, should, man. That was impressive. That was so because you know what was great. It was it was, it was two levels of meaningless, right? Oh, yeah. The original thing was meaningless, and then the discussion of it was even more meaningless. So it was like it was meta meaningless. Well, I feel like at times we've we've definitely and you know and Alan pushed it today. We've definitely they've been a little bit too meaningful on some of these things. Yes, I know. We're we're in danger of saying things that someone could derive meaning from, and I think we need to <laughs> we need to end that practice forthwith. That and that's just my my contribution to making that happen. So, Alan, uh, we really do uh, appreciate uh, this. By the way, uh, TJ uh, wants to say it was Schwarber who hit that ball. Yeah. Uh, 
Who fielded it? No, he. I think he's saying it was Schwarber who hit it, or is he saying Schwarber? Who no, it was Schwarber. It? Schwarber was in left. Sure, sure, it was. Yeah, fielded, fielded it. Yeah. yeah, and then he says out at second. Yeah. yeah. So that was the uh, the situation. TJ is sort of our. You know, that, that's why we have TJ is so that he can <laughs> he can sort of correct things so that we can totally misunderstand what he means by his corrections and then move on from there. That's right, Alan. <laughs> Alan, was it was it bad, Alan? Honestly, you, you can you can be honest with us. Did did we did we feel like we lived up to our our promise, or or did we go overboard? I frankly expected quite a lot more yelling. Oh, you know, don't, that, don't say that. That we'll, whole we'll bit where, where you let me say nice things about the Yankees for two or three minutes, I was not was, at all prepared. That was Michael. I, I had nothing. To do I with felt that. a little bad. Look, the way that this we do this thing on the uh, we do this podcast on this thing called Zencaster, and our names are on the left hand side of the screen, and there's these little green <laughs> lines that show when you talk, like a little green like thing pops up, and uh, so if you talk for a long time, there's like a like a thick bar of green that goes across the screen, and um, I looked up at my name. I logged on today <laughs> as Aaron Judge in an attempt to reverse psychology, destroy the Yankees. Because uh, you can choose whatever name you want when you log on, and I looked up and it said Aaron Judge, and the entire bar was just a thick wall of green, which indicated that I had been yelling continuously for like ten minutes, and so There's I felt a little bad. Alan, early on. There's nothing but white. <laughs> I know it's just the poor, poor, our poor guest. We invite onto our podcast and then just yell at him for for ten minutes straight. So I did. I felt bad. And I, I shifted gears, and I uh, look. I'm, uh, you know, concerned about the the happiness of our guests, and so I wanted we, you to have should, your chance right. to say your piece about the awful band of White Walkers that you somehow root for. All right, two last things as we go. One, it's Breaking Bad 101: The Complete Critical Companion by Alan Sepinwall, available everywhere, literally everywhere. No, go any store, clothing store, doesn't matter. It's there, <laughs> everywhere you go. Breaking Bad 101. It's it really is excellent. Alan. I got it's one excellent. at my eye doctor's yesterday. I walked. They were selling it at my eye doctor's <laughs> well, office. Well, it does, and you know, it's it's got all sorts of uh, eye doctor material <laughs> in it. Um, second, I'm gonna just around the room as we go. Percentage, because we are Wednesday. It's about three o'clock Eastern. Um, two hours. Two hours from first pitch. We're two hours. Two from hours first from first pitch. pitch. Percentage, starting with Alan, Michael, then me. Percentage chance the Yankees win this series. Allen? 50. Michael? It's a, a mathematical certainty at the same level as that the three angles of any triangle <laughs> have the same value when added together. So I thought you were going to go with something like it's a mathematical certainty along the same lines of like, 99 and then 99 with like the line across right? where it's like I know, remember like um, I remember hearing in uh, in a science class at some point in my life that there is theoretically a chance that in a room that all of the air molecules in the room will suddenly rush to one side of the room and that if you're on the other side of the room you would suffocate like there like that is a is a possibility that it, okay. like it theoretically in 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 the world of like uh, things that could occur, that that is a thing yeah. that could occur. It's just so unlikely that it never, that it never will occur. It's a one in a, right. you know, 200 quintillion chance or whatever. Right. That is the, whatever that number is, that's the chance that the Astros win. <laughs> I was going to say the, the, 
the monkey uh, typing Shakespeare thing. Sure. Like that 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 thing. That's the chance. Yeah. That, the, that, 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 that you pick a monkey and put it in front of a typewriter will type for, all of the works of Shakespeare word perfect from beginning to end. That's yeah. what the Astros. That's the chance. If he if he could do it, that's how much of a chance the Astros have. That's in right. Series. Alan, I already said fifty percent. I think Mike is just really trying to reverse jinx this whole thing. I'm not, oh. man. I'm just I'm giving facts. These are just these are straight up facts. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Alan, thanks so much for joining us. Michael, as always, thank you. Joe, thanks for having me.